0: Nice! Soul on Ice! I'ma put my soul on ice!
1: Nice! Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night to one and all, wherever you're listening to us, whenever you're listening to us. This is Soul on Ice, the podcast. I am your host. My name is Kwame. Double Trouble's in the house. Let me introduce you to my nephews. we got Akil Thomas and Elijah Roberts. What's going on, Bice?
2: Not much. Just cooling. Not much, just uh, cooling as well.
1: Really, Akil? You're just cooling too? What are you guys, like uh, an R&B group? You're just cooling?
3: Maybe I don't we'll know what R&B see. is, but... Getting into the music recently, so maybe we'll form an R&B group. hmm Who would be the
1: lead singer if you guys were in the R&B group?
3: Uh, Akil knows the answer to that. Let's just see if he caps or not. I'm not much of a singer, so... Okay, right, let's just you
1: say go. you guys... There's okay, okay, okay. Hypotheticals. If you guys could sing, okay? And it's a duo. Who would be lead vocals?
3: Me, for sure. <laughs> really? From the UK I think we should rap, try. Man. I think we should try.
1: Okay, so now it's a boy band. It's five members of the group. You guys have the best voices. Who's uh, who's going to be the lead singer?
2: Well, Probably me, because sure. I'm better looking, right? So it's like, you got to yeah. go with the, the best. We can put this to the
3: test. We can R- rap test. on an episode or sing on an episode. I'd like well, to see you too, rap. Um,
2: so... For everyone listening, um, we all got together a um, couple couple days ago to get a photo shoot going, and um, we realized that I'm more musically cultured than Elijah, so I just wanted to throw that out there. call me what do you think
1: i I, I have to agree because we had brought up the reggae music, and Elijah only knew Bob Marley, and I think he might have knew the song red red wine i 'm not sure, but he only had a very limited um, knowledge of reggae music, which is very sad because uh, his background is Jamaican. And, Trinidadian. Uh, oh, Trinidadian. I Trinidadian, I Trinidadian sorry, excuse is. me, Trinidadian. Yeah, so. Um, he, didn't, he
2: didn't know who Vibes Cartel is, so it's like. He
1: did not like, know who Vibes Cartel is. And I got to say, though, Akil, um, you know, just for Elijah's sake, there's a lot of people out there right now saying, I don't know who Vibes Cartel is, our listeners. I, I'm sure of that. But the simple fact that you know who Vice Cartel is, Akil, I have to rate you. So Elijah, I don't know if you want to retort or if you just like to leave it at that and we just keep going with the show. Would you like to say uh,
3: anything? before we move on with the show? I just know mm. my playlist isn't all the oozy, little pump mm. juice world. So we can we can mm. we can just move on from there. Cause you know, you know, Kwame, I got everything in there. Akil's just little oozy and little pump. So we, so we can move on now. So I think with that being said.
1: Elijah, I have to give you the 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 floor on that. He 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 did get you on that one, Akil. So we'll just move on and we'll come back to the whole music thing uh, sometime down the road. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you um, subscribe, rate, review. Um, we are going to be uh, giving you guys a really huge announcement in a little while. Um, can't really talk about it right now, but I'm telling you, we are going to be taking this podcast to the stratosphere, boys. Uh, uh, Elijah. Has definitely crossed over, um, and I will let Elijah let everybody know how his week has been. Elijah, the floor is yours. Yeah, I
3: had a I had a real busy week. Started off, um, some of the Ryerson guys got all together, and you know, me and a few of the other rookies got to meet some of the older guys, and it was pretty cool to get that chance to to meet them. And it's a lot different than when you're meeting guys in the OHL for the first time. Like they're they're all eighteen, the older guys are nineteen, twenty, but this time I meet all my teammates and they're all like 22 to 25 years old. So it's, it was a whole different kind of experience, but uh, they're all pretty good guys and I'm looking forward to get to know them better. And then just a little bit later in the week, I decided to cross something off my bucket list and I went skydiving. Mm. So uh, it's Tandem crazy. Stuff. It Tandem stuff. Probably the best thing I've ever done. And uh, I was real nervous about it, but you know, I was happy that I went forward with it.
1: Um, so okay, I heard that for first timers who uh go skydiving, they usually wet themselves. Did you wet yourself?
3: No, 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 Come on.
1: Seriously? You didn't?
3: No. no, no. Okay. I, okay. I, went was to, it? I went to the bathroom right before I jumped. <laughs> okay. There's no chance of that <laughs> happening. So they, like when
2: you're when you're up there and like they're just like, Oh like we're gonna jump now, like you're looking down. Are you like are you hesitating like what like what were your thoughts like you're just so, like
3: so i'll break i'll break it all down for you like i watched a will smith video so i might sound a lot like he was talking but it's pretty much how you feel like you're all like oh it's a good idea let's go skydiving let's go skydiving and then the night before you're like damn i'm about to jump out of a plane tomorrow like what am i doing so then i wasn't nervous up until like i was actually driving up there and i was nervous the whole time then, when I got there they they said that they'd been open for forty seven years and had no deaths, so that was kind of the thing that eased my mind. But up, you're going up in the plane, you see the city, and then the city starts to disappear and that was when I started to get a little scared. I was actually getting a little dizzy in the plane, and then I kind of just like I was like, all right, like whatever we're we're here, we're doing this and I was the last one to jump, and two people jumped before me, and like right before I was just kind of like, "All right, let's do it and honestly, it was Probably the best thing i've ever done it's uh for anyone out there i highly recommend doing it. it's definitely worth it so, so you weren't you scared at like-
1: all you weren't scared at all man
3: mm, like i was scared at first but then it was just like as soon as you jump it's like you're just chilling you know like all the fear just disappeared as soon as i jumped and then especially when the the shoot went up and i was just gliding in the air and you can look and you can i was in innisfil but you could see toronto you could see everything and like, you just feel like you're flying. So it's kind of an experience. I, I can't even describe it. It's just something you got to uh, feel for yourself.
2: So nice. like, where was the, where was the
3: place? Like, where did you, like basically hop into the plane? So it was in Innisfil, but, uh, the plane just goes, I think we were 12,000 feet in the air and then, yeah, you just jump and then you pretty much land back right where the, the spot is. You
1: got video of it too, right?
3: I do, yeah. I'm gonna we're gonna share the video and some pictures just so some of you guys can see.
1: All right, we'll give it to Brother B and let him uh, hook it up on social and uh, show Elijah nearly wetting himself um, skydiving.
2: So, guys, uh, you know, last Friday the uh, NHL law draft lottery came out, and uh, some pretty interesting things there. Um, obviously, with uh, the first pick um, being a, an unknown team, um, so. Um, one second. I'll pull up the uh, the list. Um, first pick, which is likely Alexi Lafreniere. Um, unknown. It'll be one team that um gets knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. So that's uh, I think that's the first time, obviously, it's ever happened, right? Um, yeah. and then LA gets second pick. Uh, Ottawa three, Detroit four, um, Ottawa five, um, Anaheim six, and New Jersey seven, and uh, B- Buffalo at eight, and um, obviously. Ottawa's got three and five. So that's pretty, it's pretty unreal. So, uh, what do you guys think about that?
3: Um, Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it sucks for some teams that, like Detroit, were dead last and now they're picking four. Ottawa was projected to pick, I think it was two and three. Now they're three and five. So it sucks for a lot of teams. But um, I think when the lottery is done that way, it uh, leaves you to not tank year after year. You try and win because you can finish dead last and not pick first. So when, when it's built like that, I think it's the right way to do. But honestly, when I was listening to all those teams, there's one team that stuck out and that's probably cause you're wearing the LA King shirt right now and you're picked by LA. Mm. So what are your thoughts like on LA getting the pick How How does that make you feel? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, well,
2: right off the bat, it's either, you know, Byfield or Stutzel, uh, German kid. So, I think there's a lot of people saying that they don't know which one's going to go. I think Byfield will go second. Um, you know, he's six four, fast. Uh, you know, big, obviously good hands, good at hockey IQ, can hit, so he can kind of do everything. And I think the German kid's a little bit smaller, and uh, just I think by the way NHL teams draft, it's kind of like you know, bigger and, and stronger if they're both the same skilled. So. Um, you know, I think, you know, LA will end up taking Byfield. They usually take centermen, obviously, and um really excited about that. Obviously we played on, you know, Team Canada together and he's the goofiest guy ever. He was actually our first guest on the show. So um yeah. pretty cool how that kinda panned out. And um, you know, looking down like five years down the road, if I can make the LA Kings and if Byfield gets drafted there, I think it's pretty it's gonna be a really good time. So um just another reason to you know get off get after it.
1: I'm excited about it just the the, the um, thought of yourself and Quentin you know possibly having the opportunity to play on the same line uh, down the down the road would just be beautiful for the city of LA um, just for the culture of hockey just for everything moving forward you know I think it'd be really cool and man like honestly like I, I really I really believe that you guys could be uh, this be the, the pippin and Jordan of hockey, depending on how you guys, um, you know, mesh together. So I think it's really, really cool. Um, that first round pick, that one is like, man, like imagine if Pittsburgh Penguins get knocked out the first round and they get that first pick or Edmonton Oilers, like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Somebody's going to be upset and somebody might be able to capitalize. And here's the question. I know, you know, there's that thing of people tanking. But if you're a t- if you're a team and you're you know you're 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 doing best of five whatever it is and that first two games you just get blown away and you realize your team is not not up for it you win game three but you still feel like there's no way we're gonna win this do you tank that to get the first pick?
3: Uh, I don't think so. Just because even if you lose that first round, there's still what is it eight teams or is there more than eight teams that can get that pick over you so you you just like you can lose the first round and just still not get the pick and then it's just a lose-lose where is if you just keep trying when winning there's teams in the past who were the eighth seed who've come to win the stanley cup and i think even when you're down to nothing especially when it's uh just the best of five it's very easy to come back from that so uh yeah i don't yeah, think it'll be teams tanking
2: i don't think it's worth it either you know obviously if like st louis last year if you know you, you come in and you're hot and you win the first round you win a second round and you just roll through like you win a stanley cup so i don't think any teams will you know want to um you know tank obviously not the players but even on the management side like i think last year we just learned that you know any team can, can come into playoffs and, and win and win a stanley cup so i don't think that'll happen and um just another cool thing about uh bifal and i uh, he's Number fifty-five. I'm number forty-four. So it'd be pretty
1: cool.
2: Oh, and I actually used to be number fifty-five. So kind of neat there too.
3: Have you got the chance to talk to him yet since the, the lottery yeah. happened?
2: Yeah. 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 As soon as as soon as I found out, I called him right away. And what did um, you say? it was just pretty cool. Um, <laughs> his his exact words were, "Yeah, you'll be in the A for a while, buddy." So <laughs>
1: <laughs> pretty funny. You're just messing
2: with me. But, I already yeah. started. The I did I didn't expect anything uh last from Quentin. Um so yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool though. He was you know, he's obviously he wants to go second, obviously he's competitive and stuff and um I think we're just both pretty excited about it and you know hopefully you know this coach stuff can can stop and you know we mm-hmm. can go to camp in a couple months and, and uh kind of re- reunite there.
1: Um when is when is um the draft draft day?
3: No day like no date. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't put a date on yet? Yeah. I'm actually uh, curious so to see if the season doesn't continue because I know there's a lot of people testing positive um, if they would redo the lottery. Like, I don't... Because they don't know who's picking first, so how would they continue?
2: Yeah, I mean, this might be in the, D, the DL, but apparently uh, five players on Tampa tested positive and, like, multiple staff members. So it's kind of a thing where, like, in two weeks, if a couple of guys get tested positive, like... Mm. You know, they, they only find out four or eight hours after, like, they test. So right. if a guy tests is positive, that means he likely spread it to a few people, right? And right. so who knows what's going to happen. I have a weird feeling they might just scrap the playoffs, to be honest. Weird. Feeling, well, but.
1: only can have our fingers crossed because, um, you know, it'd be really cool. To get something going on i'm so dying to see some sort of sports i mean i love watching the old stuff on Sportsnet and tsn but man i need to see somebody get it right now um for everybody uh we've got from um hockey night in canada for those who are listening in canada that you guys know what we're talking about for those in the states some people know it some people don't we've got david amber he's going to be our special guest but um before we do that we also had something really cool uh, that we did. We, um, we took some really cool photos, just some prom- promotion stuff um, that we will be throwing on, um, you know, Instagram and Twitter and old man Facebook whenever we get a chance to. Um, so if you haven't already, subscribe to us, Soil Nice Ice, the podcast, and uh, make sure you give us a like. Uh, make sure you share um, holler at us or something, like you know, there's some really cool. We got some, sh- we got some, we got some pictures with Elijah. He got his shirt off. So, if you, you know, ladies, if you want one, we can, we can send you one privately, okay? You know, because Elijah's, he's chocolate thunder over here. So, you know, we got
2: you. Call well, me, don't, right. don't get your boy Elijah in trouble right now. Yeah, for
3: real. Can't be getting in no trouble. But, uh, also, I wanted to shout out to Kenya. I don't know if we shouted out Kenya yet, but I was, no, looking, and we have, we have a listener at least one listener from Kenya. So shout out to them.
1: Hey, listen, Kenya, you know, Kenya's got like, you know, they're, they're really trying to get busy with that hockey out there. Um, They've got an arena. They got some guys that are playing. They had the opportunity to come to Canada. Tim Hortons hooked them up, brought them out to Canada. They got to uh, meet Sidney Crosby and um, Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, it's really cool. I've actually talked to one of the guys from that team and um I mean, that's one of my dreams is to go out to, you know, Africa, especially a place like Kenya and just kind of rock it with those guys. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should do that. We should just bring the podcast out to Kenya and do a live broadcast from there. I think that'd be
2: dope. 2030 trip to Kenya.
1: 2030, 2030 trip to Kenya. Okay. It's a long ways away, but you know, I think Akil wants to go down. He wants to go to Kenya with a Stanley cup. Would you do that? If you want a Stanley cup, would you take that Stanley cup to Africa?
2: Uh, I mean, I'd probably want to take it to Barbados first, just cause that's hometown I'm from, and I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. No, where's that? How maybe insane. not a, hoodie, maybe a, t- a tank talk, but you
1: know. how how insane would it be? You win a Stanley Cup, you bring the Stanley Cup to Barbados. Rihanna comes back home. You guys are having a you know a beach party. She's sipping some champagne out the Stanley Cup. That would be so dope.
2: Well, I actually have family that know her. Like my mom sat right next to her on a an airplane to to Barbados. So that that could be very likely. Who knows? But um So the rest is on you.
3: Just go get that cup and then make the rest happen. Go get that cup. Yeah. So man.
2: apparently like like she's obviously from Barbados. Like she doesn't get uh, bothered too much there because everyone knows who she is. Yeah. Just just let her live. So
1: Elijah, you ever been to Barbados? Uh I have not, no. It is the trip of trips, man. I, I you know, I've had, I've had the opportunity to go there like twice. And every time I was there, man, it's just one of those places where, oh, it's just beautiful. Here's a fun fact for you. You cannot wear camouflage in Barbados. Really? Yeah. Because why, it, why is that? It, well, because they don't want to, you know, like gang. They, their crime rate is really low there. So they feel like that could be kind of like, you know, construed as like a gang similar. I remember the first time I went there, I was in my camouflage um, pants and, the, you know, army guys over there, they're just like, you're going to have to change those. And I was like, change what? My pants? And he's like, yep. And they explained to me and I was like, okay,
2: that makes sense. Let's go. Just a total different world. And um, yeah, little stuff like that. It's so much different from uh, North America.
1: Barbados is a place you gotta just check out. So listen, boys, um, let's do the pause for the cause. And then when we come back, the one and only David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada. There he is. How you guys doing? Good, man, how are you?
4: Good, good, good. Thanks for having me on, boys.
1: Of course, of course. Have you ever met Akil or Elijah down in your room? Have you guys ever met David?
4: I, I'm, I'm not. Elijah, nice to meet you. Akil, I interviewed nice you on you. the radio a couple of weeks back. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Doing, doing well, man. Congratulations on all the success, both of you guys. All three of you guys, really. Thank word, you.
1: Word. And to you, too. You know, you're holding it down, brother. We appreciate right, what man. you're doing.
4: Trying to stay employed.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So where are you now? When are you, when are you, when are you uh, leaving?
4: Uh, tomorrow. My wife just left, and I'm leaving tomorrow now.
1: Tell me you didn't stay around for us.
4: No, 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 okay. no, I didn't, no, no, I got a Because I would
1: just, because if you, if you said you stayed around for us, I'd just be like, yeah, boys, we're on that type of level where we make people.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, man, no, I, um, but I'm glad you guys are having me on and I, I love the guys, the, what the stuff you guys are doing. So it's great.
1: Yeah. We're just, you know, I just try to give, uh, that whole podcast world in hockey, just a different voice.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Because I think that's, um. That's one of the things going forward, like for me personally, like when I was creating content with the league, my mindset was, you know, i got to tell our stories. i got to make sure people understand where we come from, what we went through, yada, yada, yada. But my mindset now is like, I just want to be, I want to create content, be a part of content so that we normalize black voices and black faces in the space of hockey. Great point, man. Cause that's what needs to be. We don't need to like you know think about it. Like how many times have we seen a black face in the game of hockey? And we're like, what? Who's that? You know what I mean? And we, like we want to make it just so it's normal, so that when you see a a, a black broadcaster, it's no more than seeing a white broadcaster. When you seeing a black, uh, when you see a story of a black hockey player, and there's uh, there, you know how they came up. It's just normal, you know. Yeah.
4: We need coaches. We need some execs. We need some ownership. It's all hopefully and it's going to be a process, but we want to get there for sure.
1: And we will. I mean, Kim Davis says it the best. He always says it's a marathon. This ain't a sprint. You Mm -hmm. know, it's going to take a while. And I've always said, you know, when my film came out, my mindset was this is not something that we, we might be all old and gray, me faster than all you guys, but we might be just the old guys. And that's when we'll see how different it is. It may not happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years, but 20, 30 years down the road, it's going to be. And I think at the end of the day, what we need to do is plant the seed. That's what we're doing right now. We're all here planting seeds. We're, you know, we don't, we're don't. we not trying to get the flower right now. We're just here to plant it. Akil Elijah, what they're doing is they're letting them young kids see them in this space and have them inspired to be like them. You know, you are doing the same as a broadcaster you know, when you're out there killing it, there's that young broadcaster that is in school right now saying, man, you know what? I really love hockey and I really want to be on TV. And there's my role model every Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. And that's what we have to have.
4: Yeah, I know. You're right. You're right. Listen, think about uh, there's going to be kids inspired to watch a kill during the World Junior, saw what he was able to accomplish and go, man, I want to be him and it's not such an unreachable thing because there's a guy who looks like me sounds like me dresses like me whatever the case you feel comfortable there and same with elijah you know stepping up and i'm sure there was guys you guys looked at maybe it was the jerome mcginnas of the world or wayne simmons or whomever and now those guys got their role you guys jump in in your role away we go
1: what do you think about romey rome getting into the hall of fame
4: no brainer man i was mm-hmm. there uh I was there in his second year. He was, you know, he, you could tell he was a special player. I didn't know he was going to be a Hall of Famer, but so mature beyond his years, such a great competitor, man, that guy, fierce competitor, right? And uh, he pulled everyone up. So I'm I'm so happy for him. Cause he pulled a lot of people up along the way. He had to carry basically every team he was on.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting because... You know, my story with hockey is, you know, growing up loving the game and then later on in life, just kind of putting it to the side. But I was working at a radio station in Calgary and growing up, I'd never seen a Maple Leaf game. You know, geez, you can't afford those tickets. I used to go to Marley's games when I was a kid, but my first NHL game was in Calgary and my boss took me there. And I remember seeing Jerome get on and I looked at it and I squinted my eyes. I was like, is that a black guy? (laughs) <laughs> my 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 boss was like, yeah, it's Drew McGillan. He's our captain. I'm like, whoa. And he was lighting it up. And that's the first time I really, you know, noticed him. And man, like after that moment, I was right back because I had to know who this guy was that was so lights out on the Calgary Flames. And he just became my favorite player. And just, you know, and then I just kind of, you know, I just, just snowball effect. So, you know, it's for, to me, I always give Jerome that type of respect because like, you know, he he made me want to just be back in the mix of the game of hockey. Yeah. Amazing. So listen, I know we're chitty chatting, but um, I like to do a little something that's um, pretty fresh. So I need you to just sit back, relax for a second while I get it. All right. So in the business we call show, there's a few people who have put in the work to the point when you see them, they look comfortable in the space they're in. And they seem like that space is just natural, flawless, you can also say. Our guest that we've been talking to them for the last few minutes does just that. If you live in Canada and call yourself a hockey fan, then you tune in to the mecca of hockey programming, Hockey Night in Canada. He wasn't just given that spot. He worked hard. NCAA football, NCAA basketball, Olympic games, NBA games. He's a renaissance man of sports broadcasting. And to be honest with you, if you ever meet him and see him, he looks like he could wrestle The Undertaker in uh, WrestleMania. He'd get the three count after a tombstone pile driver, but homeboy is built like a linebacker for sure. So from Hockey Night in Canada, the late game host, we've got David Amber. What's cracking, my friend?
4: Wow, that intro? I don't I wanna just drop the mic and leave. What am I gonna do I can't live up to that, Kwame.
1: My friend, that's how we get down on the podcast. <laughs> the Solar Nights Podcast is known for its intros, man. Thanks for uh joining, man. How, how 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 have you how have you been doing? Doing
4: well, you know, all things considered, and, and thanks, uh Elijah Keel and uh, Kwame, thanks for having me here, fellas. Um, you know, it's been a weird three months, a really sort of four months almost going on now. And uh, you know, I, it's Every now and again, you wake up and you go, man, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and there's complete unrest happening socially. Some of this will be good, you know, down the road. But it's a wild time. I tell my kids we're, we're living through a historic time. Uh, when it's been tough, I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. I sort of say, look, if boredom is our number one problem because restaurants are closed and movie theaters are closed, you can't go to concerts, you know, all their activities have been shut down. I said if boredom's your number one problem we're doing okay because there's a lot of people out there really struggling in, in many different regards right now so trying to keep that perspective um and we're doing okay all things considered and uh you know it's good to have little escapes like this where you can kind of take your mind maybe off of the real world and, and step back into what we love doing talking about the things we love including hockey so it's nice
1: uh, before i let my nephews jump in here and uh talk to you i just had something for you um for those who don't know much about you, where did you grow up, and you know what was the main sport for you coming up that you played?
4: So I grew up in uh, downtown Toronto in an area called the Annex, and uh, which is cool because it's very multicultural and, and it's also just it's it's socially and economically diverse too. There's some families who live there, like my family lived there, but there's also a lot of students who live there and a lot of single people live there. So it's got a good eclectic mix and a real flavor of Toronto. Very uh, you know a lot of different cultures and nationalities so it was a it was a perfect place to grow up you learn a lot about what toronto should be and, and really is uh when you grow up in the annex uh i grew up playing a few sports but hockey was you know the sport i was probably most passionate about i played growing up uh all the way till you know till i went off to university basically and i loved it it was uh, a lot of fun played some baseball played some football as well but uh really hockey was the number one thing and just like you were saying kwame like it was saturday night tune in and it was hockey night in canada and you know it would seem so long waiting from saturday till the next saturday to get back at it um it was tough and i grew up a leaf fan and uh it would be wednesday night hockey you'd get some wednesday night games and then saturday night and th- that was it so it wasn't like now where any given night you can turn on and see your favorite team or you can watch five six games it was so different growing up at the time i did so it- it's kind of cool now the flavor that you get everything Um, But I still look back when I was a kid and thought, man, it was so special when it was kind of just once a week, just waiting for that big day.
1: Um, Was broadcasting always something you wanted to do?
4: You know what? You know what? It came about, Kwame, my dad, my dad worked um, at CBC. Uh, He was an executive producer of news specials. And every now and again, I would go and I would kind of follow him into work and walk around and. Uh, I would sit there in the truck with him while there would be a big event going on, and it was chaos. And I just thought, this is pretty cool chaos. Uh, it was something I kept in the back of my mind. I would say not till I was midway through university did I sort of say, you know, journalism would be a good career to, to pursue and to see if it would be a good fit for me. Um, and I had someone there to help mentor me and my father and and certainly, uh, you know, kind of show me the ropes a little bit. So that was really, really beneficial for me to be able to really – uh, you know, invaluable to talk to someone who, who'd done really well in his career and, and sort of showed me what it was about, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Um, and maybe that's what nurtured me to want to get into it. And uh, But it wasn't until about, again, mid, mid-time through university where I said, yeah, broadcast journalism would be fun. And then sports specifically. I didn't want to do the news stuff. That stuff's too heavy. We all see what's going on with news right now. Yeah. So divisive, yeah. so polarizing. Sports is the fun escape. People are passionate about it, but it's fun. No one's dying at the end of the day, right? Like if your team loses, it sucks, but you move on. And that was my attitude. It's like, I kind of liked that part of it.
3: What was uh, university like for you?
4: Lodger well, was great, man. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I would say, you know, I met some of my best friends for life there. I met my wife uh, in our last semester at university as well. I was at McGill University in Montreal. It was just a great city great group of people, learned a lot, Um, you know, had more fun than I learned, but, (laughs) but that's what's part of the, you know, it was kind of being out there independent on your own, not living at home.
2: Uh, It was good. It was really good. So what was your relationship with hockey uh, growing up? Did you you know, love it all the way up? Um, Just Tell us about that.
4: I was probably five, six years old the keel and um my dad grew up in montreal so he was a habs fan but i we lived in toronto and he never really kind of tried to indoctrinate me to be a habs fan and i was a leaf fan and daryl sittler my favorite player there were some really good leaf teams in the late 70s long before you guys were born but Mm. uh, it was it was fun to watch you know the habs were always the best team when i was a little kid and they had that great dynasty um but i love daryl sittler and lanny mcdonald and borya salmin and every now and again i mean tickets were really expensive but every now and again you know maybe twice a year i'd get to go to a game uh usually with my dad and we'd sit way up i'm, I'm when i say way up i mean the last row of grays at maple leaf gardens and it's back <laughs> in the time when people sit there and people be smoking cigarettes if be just this big cloud of, of cigarette smoke just how it was back then um mm-hmm. but the smell i always remember the smell of maple leaf gardens and the, and the feel of when you walk in you get off the subway at uh, college and Mm-hmm. go in there and it was just so, it, it was awesome, man. It was honestly, it was, uh, I remember those moments and that's probably when I fell in love with the game. Uh, and then I started playing when I was around eight, nine years old and, and fell in love with that too. I still do some pickups some men's leagues and things of that nature and getting pretty old and slow at my age, mm-hmm. but it's still fun to get out there and shoot the puck once in a while.
1: You know, I got an interesting story about Daryl Sittler. Do you remember back in the days, the hockey cards on the back of it, you used to have the address for uh, the teams so uh, my dad, he always encouraged us. He's like, write them a letter. And so mm-hmm. I love Daryl you know, Sittler. So I wrote him a letter. My brother, we just wrote a whole bunch of guys letters. I wrote him, um, who else, Bobby Clark, and right. a couple other guys. But him <laughs> and Bobby Clark, they actually sent me back autographed pictures and I still have them to this day. It's How great. good is
4: that, man? Yeah, am, yeah, yeah. Athletes who get it, and Daryl Sittler is honestly, is one of the classiest guys you'll ever meet. And that's mm-hmm. just who he is, right? And it's great when when athlete lives up to that and akil you're that kind of guy i can see how you're, you're an engaging guy you care about the fans it means so much kids you don't need to do too much you just need to show them you're there you're present and it means so much and Kwame, didn't that make you a fan for life with the guy like sittler like that was it right you, you get the yeah. card back from him from bobby clark and that's it and you're sold and it's great to see there's a lot of guys down in the league who get that who understand that connection with the fans they're not trying to keep at arm's length they're trying to engage a little bit so that's really good to see
1: yeah, because, I mean, it, it is a sport, but it's also entertainment at the same time. And the biggest part about that entertainment is the, re, uh, the interaction with the fans and the people that are the ones that are buying the tickets, the ones that are supporting you. Because without them, you really don't have much, you know what I mean? So um, I really thought it was really special. And like I said, to this day, I still have those cards and stuff like that. And, I, I, you know, I just love, love the fact that those guys were so accommodating to me. Yeah, on, hey, hold
4: on to those cards, man. One day they'll be worth something, right? Like I got three Gretzky cards, but I was a kid when I got them. And I marked them up. They're worth nothing now. And I see they're getting sold for like a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it's crazy.
1: Oh my God. Actually, I I still have, I have five Gretzky cards that are in top, top condition. Um, yeah. I've got a really wicked collection of mm-hmm. hockey cards, man. I can't wait to make that money. <laughs>
2: so, uh, Elijah and I, we, we play together uh, in Niagara and mm-hmm. we have uh, an autograph table um that set up and we have to go up after every game and stuff. So uh if we if we lost bad or we're all in a bad mood, we, we still kinda gotta go up there and stuff. So uh we were pretty pretty engaged in the community up there. And um even even like months after I played for the Ice Dogs, I, I still keep in contact with a lot of the fans. Like I'll probably be be close with a lot of them for a while. So um in Niagara like when I was sixteen, I remember just realizing that like I actually like we like Made kids like whole week by just like taking a picture with them and stuff so um like i know a lot of a lot of people who i looked up to when i was younger um made me love the game of hockey more and, and everything so like when i get fan mail like i try to get everything back to everyone and everything like that so i uh, just kind of made me think of that when when daryl uh sent you those cards it's pretty cool
3: yeah and just to build on that akil i had a uh, wendell clark coached me for a really long time and. You know, one of the things he told me is that no matter how many people asked, he never turned down uh, an autograph just because how it made a kid's day, week, whatever it was. And it took, it takes two seconds to autograph something. So that's something that's kind of stuck with me all this time. And, you know, to this day, I will never say no to autographing so on, something for so on.
1: And sp- it's the same way in broadcasting as well for you David like you know a lot of people see you uh, each and every week you're part of a huge staple and I think you know being reachable to the fans and you know when you're out there I know when I was in radio you know people used to uh, like some of my coworkers used to laugh and they're just like oh my god you're gonna sit at the table and sign everybody you're signing everything and I'm just like listen man like without them we're nobody so I, I just love the people so yeah um just want to switch it up a little bit did, did I get it right did I cover all the sports that you have covered or did I miss anything
4: uh well I was so you know I started out my first job was in Sault Ste. Marie and uh, Joe Thornton and Rick Jackman and the Greyhounds that was fun to uh, to cover them then I went out to Calgary and I was a reporter for TSN then I was only there about nine months, and then I got brought back home to Toronto, which was fantastic. And I covered a ton of stuff in those five years uh, at TSN. So I was covering, you know, NBA Finals, World Series, Olympics, etc. So it was great. I've covered I've covered most sports. I've covered some, you know, golf, tennis, and uh, auto racing. So a bit of everything, which which I think's been really cool. The, the, the having the variety of the experiences and being at some of these major events has been uh, such a, uh, you know, maybe it's been the height of the career for me Has been, in, you know, being right there and watching history unfold at different times. I was there, you know, in 2002 when Canada finally won a gold medal in men and women's hockey, um, uh, women's hockey for the first time and in men's hockey for the first time in 50 years. And, uh, again, I was on that team and a whole bunch of, uh, great players. So, uh, it was good to be there for some, you know, in- incredible historic moments. And, uh, but yeah, I've covered, as you said, I've covered quite a bit of, uh, a variety of sports which has made it interesting for me.
1: We, we got to come back to historic moments. I know Elijah's got a great question about that but you know broadcasting isn't easy especially in Canada because of the amount of uh, jobs out there or lack thereof. Um, you've gotten to a point where you're a part of the mainstream, the mainstay of Canadian uh, media but I want to know what it was like for you for those first five years of your career because it's such an incer- uncertain career. Were you nervous? Oh,
4: my God. I mean, you know, it wasn't that dissimilar than guys trying to maybe get their shot at the NHL. And what I mean by that is, you know, so I I went to McGill University. I went to Syracuse University. So I was down in the States and I had a year to to, as as a student, I had a year as a a visa to try and get a job in the States. So I was sending out tapes everywhere. Jackson, Mississippi, Joplin, uh, Missouri, uh, Redding, California, Bangor, Maine. Rejection, 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 rejection. I mean, I sent out probably 30, 40 tapes, and everyone was coming back, hey, thanks, but no thanks. The one in Bangor, Maine, this was for a weekend sports job, guys. I think it was at the NBC affiliate in Bangor, Maine. It was paying like $14,000 a year. I'm talking like less than minimum wage in Canada. And I got back a thing saying, hey, you were one of 142 tapes. You know, we liked it, but we chose someone with more experience. And I was living at my parents' house, and I remember just saying to my mom, I was like, oh man, I might never get a job. Like, this might not happen. So then I started driving around Ontario and I um, you know, was going to Barrie and Kitchener and Kingston and anywhere where there's TV stations and meeting with news directors. And, you know, same thing, oh, you don't really have any experience or we don't have any jobs available or whatever the case may be. Finally, I went out to Sudbury and I met a guy named uh, Mark Oldfield and he headed up these network of stations in Sault Ste. Marie and Timmins and North Bay. And he said, look, we don't have anything, but I like the fact you drove up here, you showed some initiative. Um, if something comes available, I'll shoot your tape out into one of our pubs and we'll see what happens. And so I graduated in December. I didn't get a call till November. So 11 months of rejection. I mean, it was, it was wow. you know, used to getting that kind of rejection in high school from girls, but not like that, trying to get a job, you know,
1: worry, <laughs> so Akil, Akil's used to that. He knows about that.
4: Too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it was, it was tough. So, I mean, I, I'm not giving you the short side of the story here, but yeah, no, it was please
1: tough. come on. I love it. I love it.
4: Finally, I got a call in November 1st. It was the day after Halloween. I'd, I'd been out at a Halloween party. I was all, I think I was pretty hungover the next day and the phone rings. It was like Sunday morning, eight in the morning, nine in the morning. It's like, hi, it's Tony Rima from MCTV. And I am, I'm in Sault Ste. Marie. And I, I said, oh, okay. And we have this conversation. I'm pretty groggy. And he says, can you come up for an audition? We got your tape. And I'm like, sure hang up the phone. I said to my mom, where's Sault Ste. Marie? You know, like, I'm a real Toronto kid. It's like <laughs> It's not close to here, right? We're, yeah. it's before, like, uh, the internet was really up and running big time. Yeah,
1: those so maps. Yeah, those maps. Yeah, the yellow book, the yellow book maps.
4: Yeah, so a seven-hour drive go out there. The audition went well. They hire me. I, I drive up there. I end up um, taking the job, and, and away we went. But, I mean, there was a time, like, and I graduated with a lot of really talented people, and some of them just didn't get that that one break and some of them mm. didn't make it and they were better than me, as good as me. They weren't as lucky as me or just weren't there at the right place at the right time. So, um, you know, you need a bit of good timing, good luck. And, you know, it's funny to think now, you know, you're never really secure in this business, but I know I've done a, a, you know, I've done some work in the business, but just getting a foot in the door to have someone allow you the opportunity yeah. to do some work. So I went out to Sault Ste. Marie and, and I learned a lot there and, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. If I didn't get that opportunity, at certain point i was probably going to say well i got to go find another job because mm-hmm. this is working for me oh
2: man so if anyone you know understands the culture um you know in hockey they understand that the culture between hockey and any other sports like it's very different right so mm-hmm. um you know i believe that you, you started broadcasting in uh, in basketball with the Raptors. so um tell us what the transition was like into into the hockey after mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done a bit of sports when I jumped in with the Raptors. I've done some other sports before, but yeah, basketball. Um, we talked about the the fan attachment. Basketball's really good at that. I mean, they know how to market their players. They know how to put them sort of in the spotlight. Uh, and I think other leagues could really take a lesson from how the NBA builds up its superstars, right? And you know, like these are brand names: Shaq, LeBron. You know, when Kobe, of course, like these are. They're known they're universally, whereas, you know, baseball players, hockey players, not it's not as much. They got to work on that side of things. Uh, it was a lot of fun covering the NBA. Um, it was during Vinsanity. So I was a, a Raptors sideline reporter. And, you know, right when Vince Carter was coming up, you guys were pretty young. I don't know how much you remember Vince Carter, but when he was the guy, you know, like uh, he just he was for a couple of years, probably the most recognizable and most popular NBA player. So to be there to watch him do his thing on a night in night out basis was a lot of fun. You know, uh, transitioning back to hockey a few years later down the road, you know, I went down to the States, I worked at ESPN, but then when I came back and eventually ended up at hockey night, it's been great because it's kind of brought me back to my first love. Uh, The guys are incredible to deal with. Uh, you know, the game is fast and skilled and, you know, physical and exciting. So I love it. It's it's kind of going full circle and I'm back where I, where I started as a little kid going to make leaf gardens with my dad when I was six, seven years old.
3: Uh, you said you started like when you're starting off in broadcasting, you face a lot of adversity trying to find a job and you actually became a broadcaster. Did you face any adversity in broadcasting world or just in the media world?
4: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I thank God those tapes, I don't know where they are from those days in Sault Ste. Marie. I hope they've been burned. I hope they'll never surface because, trust me, there were some rough moments. And uh, I was learning. I was learning a lot back then. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one funny story. One of the first shoots I went on. And so when you go to a smaller station and you're not in a network, you don't have a producer, you don't have a camera person, you don't have an editor, you do everything. So they say, hey, we want you to go out and interview Steve Butlin. He's the. Uh, mayor of Sault Ste. Marie, I'm like, okay, sure. I go into his office and I I go, oh, let's put you over here. And I open the blinds and the sun's beaming in and I'm doing like with the camera, I'm, I'm shooting it and uh, interviewing him. And for anyone who knows anything about TV, you know, I put him in like the witness protection program. All it was when I got back to the station was his silhouette. You couldn't even see his face. He looked like a no. Colombian drug lord or something. <laughs> so I just spent like an hour with the mayor of Sault Ste. Marie, the the, the city <laughs> I'm trying to produce news for, and it was a disaster. So mistakes like that, and you go, oh shoot, I won't make that mistake again. Um, but I, you know, it was a lot of uh, learning, a lot of learning. So adversity, um, yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta figure things out too. You know, Elijah you know, how to deal with athletes, how to make them comfortable, uh, how to do your job um, and stay professional, not uh, overstep the bounds. Like people say, oh, are you best buddies with all the players? I go, no, you know, like they're, well, first, I mean, now I'm old, but even when I was younger, it's like friendly and everything, but you also know like they want their space. They don't want some media guy, you know, trying to befriend them. And if I have to report on stuff, if they get cut from a team or if they do something, I have to report on it. I've got to keep that professional relationship as well. So. Mm -hmm. have a lot of friends in the hockey community but I think at first you just wanted to I wanted to make sure they viewed me and respected me like as a professional guy first and foremost not as their best buddy and and that was something even though when I was in my you know late 20s and I got to Calgary and I you know was covering the flames and it was Jerome's second year and uh, Theo Fleury was there and a bunch of guys I, I just tried to stay as professional as possible so there's always adversity along the way and had some encounters with some some coaches and athletes every now and again that it isn't the most fun, but kind of comes with the territory, right?
1: Speaking of that, have you ever been in a situation? You don't have to name names or anything like that, but have you ever been to in a situation where you rubbed a player or a coach the wrong way, and they maybe came at you about it, or sent you a, a nasty text, or, or called you called you out on it?
4: Yeah, hey, I don't mind sharing these stories. Um, I've had a few, you know, and I'm I'm I don't like conflict. I avoid conflict at all costs. So I think anyone who knows me knows I'm not that guy who's trying to stir things up, cause problems. Uh, I had the one part of my professional life at a network level I didn't really love. I had to cover NASCAR for about six or seven races when I was at ESPN in 2007, I think. And I had to cover a race, uh, Tony Stewart, I don't know if you guys are race car fans. And he was he was just giving me, he kind of, you know, I got into the scrum. I'm, I'm asking some questions and he knew I wasn't a regular NASCAR beat writer. And he kind of just gave me this look like, what are you doing here? You know, you're you're not you haven't been here for all my other races, you know, don't start stirring things up. And we kind of had a back and forth and it got, it got pretty heated. He, I went into his trailer. They had these big trailers and he was kind of poking me like this a little bit. And, and you know, I, I'm not a violent guy, but <laughs> at that moment I wasn't liking that so much. Right. He, right. He's about five eight. He's about up to here on me. And I, I you know, I, <laughs> if, if I, if it had kept going in the direction it was going in, it was probably going to get a little nasty. Yeah. Um, but that got sorted out. His PR guy called and apologized, and I think he knew his, he knew Stewart was out of line. You know I had a run in once with Nick Saban, uh, you know, when he started up his tenure at Alabama that I've, I've laughed about a little bit since then, but he got upset with the line of question we had um you know charles oakley was mad at me once uh
1: oh that's not the person you want to get mad no no
4: trust me that was a time i was like please don't (laughs) let this get physical (laughs) but you know and oak and it was all we all figured it out after and it wasn't a hundred percent mad at me he was kind of mad at the situation and uh but we got that resolved thankfully uh you know he actually ended up getting suspended by the nba for a game or two on some on you know something that we were reporting and he got a little had a physical altercation with a player out there and you know i've seen oak since then and he can kind of laugh about it and you know just sort of came with the territory at the time but yeah you you got to you know there's a lot of different personalities you guys play right elijah Akil, a lot of alpha dogs a lot of you know a lot of uh, egos a lot of big man on campus type attitudes and you know you just got to navigate your way through that and to me as long as i'm professional and i'm not taking cheap shots i've never done that then i i don't have to be worried about anything you know i'm not one of those people it's not, it's not my job to editorialize and say that guy's overpaid or that guy's not playing well. I'll ask our analysts and I put them in, in the you know unenviable task of having to be critical. It's not really my role to do that. Um, mm. And as long as it's profe- it's done professionally and there's a criticism that comes with some context, then I can sleep at night and not worry about you know not doing what I should be doing, and and I'm okay with that.
1: Before you go, uh, Akhil, I want to ask you and Elijah. Um, from a player's perspective what are the things you like or don't like about
2: um reporters um that's a good question uh i think for me um i don't really get um irritated that easily like i think i'm a pretty you know chill uh even keeled guy so i was like i i've never really been met, like upset with a reporter or ever really had a problem like i don't mind getting interviewed you know, like um, mm-hmm. Some guys might come in after you know a bad period and just kind of like, oh, I don't want to get interviewed. Just
1: Have you seen answer. it with some of your? Have you seen it with some of your teammates?
2: Yeah, like yeah, these sure. kind of a couple word answers, and they just kind of make it obvious that they don't want to be talking to the person. Mm-hmm. But for me, like I, I've, I'll never feel that, that way. I don't think I just kind of I just don't mind it at all. Um, what about you, Elijah?
3: I would say just when the reporter's asking me weird questions like kind of like why are you asking me this right now or like what's the relevance or like when me and Akil did the interview in Flint like I would, like the reporter wasn't ready like he didn't know that it, that like I tried to act as Akil and the reporter didn't know so it's just like if a reporter comes and doesn't really know what they're talking about or asking kind of irrelevant questions it's kind of just unprofessional I guess and it's like we're going to take the time to come do an interview just be prepared and we'll give you our best as well yeah,
2: yeah see for me like
3: like I even
2: if uh they ask like a dumb question or or you know a stupid question like for me i understand like that's part of their job kind of they have to ask some questions sometimes and stuff so like i don't i don't care
1: I don't... amber what's the what's the dumbest question you've ever asked a, an athlete oh my god i have so many to choose from i
4: well first of all i want to say <laughs> I disagree with Akil. I don't think it's part of the job. I think it's incumbent on us to come prepared and you should, if we're there to critique what you guys are doing and and how you're performing, if we're not performing and we're not prepared, like Elijah's saying, you should call us out on that. And quite frankly, it bugs the prepared reporters and broadcasters when someone's Mm -hmm. out there in the field, because it gives the rest of us a bad name too. So don't feel like obligated to answer questions. if you know, there's a lot of lazy reporting going on. Um, you know, I don't like when people say, talk about this. No, ask me, a, ask a pointed question, right? Like, direct me into a conversation. Don't just say, hey, tell me about that game. Tell me about the third period. No, what about your goal? No, ask me something specific, right? Like, we, we can't be lazy and we shouldn't be lazy. Um, and listen, I'm not acting on some high horse. Listen, I've done my share of bad questions. Mm. Um, I try to be prepared. And that's something I pride myself with, um, going into to do the show is being really prepared and knowing as much as I can. Um, you know, dumbest question I've ever asked, my God, I, I, oh man, I don't, I'd have to go back and look at some tapes, Kwame, I don't know.
1: <laughs> okay, well, listen, I'll make you feel a bit better. I'll tell you the dumbest question that I've ever asked mm-hmm. in my years as a broadcaster. Biggie Smalls passed away. Do you remember when Puffy and the family came down for Caravana?
4: Ooh, when would that
1: have been? Late 90s? As, yeah, late 90s. This is right after um, Biggie passed away. Anyways, I'm yeah. doing an interview with Puffy and Mace. Okay. And I say to Puffy, so you were so close to Biggie. How did you feel when he died? Ooh.
4: Yeah, <laughs> what happened? <laughs>
1: you know what? He was actually really cool. He just he just answered like, you know, that was my that was my big brother and la la la. Yeah. But I just remember walking away and going, how do you expect him to feel? Like that is just <laughs> dumb, buddy. We've like, all
4: been bro. there. Yeah, we've all been there. I had a funny moment. I was doing a Raptors sideline, um, and the Raptors were up by twelve, and they're up by ten, and they're playing Orlando. And all of a sudden, Orlando, in the last like two minutes, they go on fire and they end up beating the Raptors by one. But the whole time I, I was about to run out to do a-, a courtside interview, the whole time it was like, oh, we're going to get Vince, or we're going to get T-Mac, whomever it was. And it was like, well, the Raptors lost. you got to get someone on Orlando. So I'm standing there and Orlando had a real no-name team, right? I hadn't mm-hmm. been focused on them at all because the Raptors were up and the game was over. Then all of a sudden this guy gets brought over to me and he he wasn't one of their starters. I think he was maybe their 10th man on the bench, but he hit a couple of threes down the stretch, but I was so focused on other things. And we're about to start the live interview because they're like, all right, now let's go courtside with David Amber. And he's standing beside me and I do one of these, right? Like kind of look back to see the name on it. And I'm like, yeah, we got uh, Daryl Armstrong with <laughs> us. It was, I didn't know who I was interviewing. Like that could have oh, been man. really bad. Um, oh my God. So, yeah, there's been some moments like that. I mean, you're, it's, I kind of, you know what guys, whenever I have bad moments, I know how you guys feel like, you know, you have a bad shift, you have a bad game or, you know, I can't say you have a bad documentary because that's too much work's gone into that. But <laughs> if I've had a bad show or a bad segment, the way I calm myself down, I say, you know, this is, uh, these are we're not saving lives here. Like we're talking about sports. I mispronounced the guy's name. I gave a wrong spat. I asked mm. him the best question decompress, move on, life goes on. And that's how I get through those things. I don't know how you guys, like, to me, that's how I get through. And I've had bad moments, but I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let them own me. I'm not going to let it, you know, eat away at me.
2: So sorry to uh, backtrack, but you're talking about NASCAR um, a few moments ago. Uh, What's your take on the uh, Bubba Wallace situation?
4: Well, I think first of all, he handled everything with complete grace and class and um he's done such a good job of representing himself and uh the African African American community and all that fan base that there is uh what happened with him doesn't shock me uh I covered six NASCAR six or seven NASCAR races and there was a lot of Confederate flags and there was it it, it was an uncomfortable uh situation you know I I, I didn't feel very comfortable there and I didn't have anything overtly happen to me, but I just didn't feel very comfortable in the environment. Um, you know, I was I covered both in the South and in the North, you know, Poconos and uh, Martinsville and Daytona, et cetera. It just, it, it, I, I could imagine what he must feel like. He just must constantly feel like a bit of an outsider. Um, I was really pleased to see how NASCAR stepped up and spoke to to what happened and spoke to protecting and standing behind him and the other drivers and the other racing crews. So I loved the reaction. I loved uh basically everyone saying we're a family, we're in this together. Um but it did it shock me. No, it didn't it didn't shock me.
1: Mm. Um speaking of Baba Bubba Wallace, you had an opportunity to interview one of his sponsors, um David Stewart. And for those who don't know, David Stewart, he is the uh, owner and founder of Worldwide Technology. He's also one of the richest black men in America. Uh, what was that interview like uh, for you? And, you know, and uh, what did you think of, of uh, Mr. Stewart? Because he's also a um, minority owner of the St. Louis Blues.
4: Uh, I mean, I came out of there just incredibly impressed. He's uh, a thoughtful, smart, engaging, incredibly successful, but yet down to earth guy. He uh, wants to leave his mark and a legacy, and he's successfully doing that. And I think he's also doing his best to open doors for other minorities. Um, You know, I talked to you, Kwame, in advance of that interview. I picked your brain because you have, you know, you've done a lot in promoting diversity and inclusion in hockey culture and knowing about the steps that need to be taken to, to, to really get the culture to a point that everyone's comfortable with and makes sense. Uh, and I picked your brain, which was invaluable for me going into that interview. Mm, good, good. And, um, you know, Mr. Stewart's just, he's an impressive guy. Um, you know, he is a self-made billionaire uh, who's really worked his butt off to get where he is, and he deserves everything that, that has come with that. Uh, The fact that he was able to celebrate a Stanley Cup championship uh, last Mm -hmm. year is fantastic. And, you know, I think we're seeing a little bit more minority ownership, whether it's out in Arizona, uh, whether it's with Mr. Stewart. There are, you know, in Washington, Washington. uh, uh, New Jersey, Will Smith, uh, I believe, and Jada Pinkett have a small portion of the Devils. It's good Mm -hmm. to see because to me, real change gets affected from the top down. Yes. Uh, you know, having players is important, but you you need to have coaches, you need to have general managers, you need to have presidents, you need to have ownership. Mm-hmm. And once you have ownership in place, it'll help, the, the culture comes from the top down. And that's something we talked about with Mr. Stewart and uh, just an incredibly
1: impressive guy. Uh, a really impressive family. For those who don't know, his son and his daughter are also Oscar winners. So his daughter was a producer on Manchester by the Sea. With Casey Affleck and his son, um, they produced Hair Love, which was about a father um, dealing with combing his black daughter's hair. And it's one of the most uh, beautiful stories if you've ever had a chance to see, you know, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. But it's beautiful. But they, yeah, they both have Oscars. So that's a really incredible family. So yeah, big up to the Stewart family. I don't know. They're they're drinking some type of water that's doing really well for (laughs) them. um let's let's go to your family how's how's your kids doing you have what two 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 kids two boys or is it a 15
4: year old daughter and a 13 year old son and they're doing great and you know thanks for asking they're, they're listen it's tough it's a it's tough age when you're going through a pandemic and you know my son's was going heading towards conference finals in hockey in the gthl you know just ripped out from under him my daughter's a competitive rock climber my daughter's also a singer and she was supposed to sing the national anthem at the bio steel championship which has like the top high school basketball players from across oh, man the- so there were some things they're just disapp- you know and then summer camp got canceled so like every other kid their age they faced a lot of disappointments but again um they're 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 doing well and uh you know we all adapt and i kind of said oh look you're living through a historic period in Fifty years you'll be able to say to your grandkids or sixty years, whatever you'll be able to say to your grandkids, hey, I lived through the pandemic, you know. <laughs> so that's one way to just try and keep a positive spin on it. But they're doing well. And, you know, once you're once you're healthy, you know, once you're not healthy, you realize that all that matters in life is your your family and health, right? The fact that we're healthy and doing okay, uh, everything else is gravy.
3: I agree. How are your kids doing in, in hockey? Are they just kind of playing for fun? Are they trying to make it to the NHL? What's, what's no, they're, they're like
4: me. They're playing for fun, right? My, my son was, uh, you know, he played double A and uh, they had some good teams. They went to Silver Stick and good little player and everything else. But, you know, you guys who have these NHL dreams, you know, you're the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, you know. I said to my son when he was 10, I said, you have a better chance of being a brain surgeon than being in the National Hockey League. And that's not to deter you, but just to know what you're up against, right? Yeah. Um, and he loves a lot of different sports. So I and I've always pushed them to team sports are great because you learn about life and collaboration and working with people and people you don't get along with necessarily you got to deal with all the personalities it's life lessons and I think that's the best thing and you stay physically fit um so I never really was pushed I wasn't one of those dads you know get out on the rink I was like you gotta wanna do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. So they're they're more recreational players, but uh but it's been fun. It's been a big part of their lives as well, even on a recreational level.
1: Did you ever worry about things your son might go through as a result of being a player of color?
4: Well, you haven't seen my son Kwame and I'm married to a white woman and he came out pretty he came out pretty light. So mm-hmm. he uh
1: 'cause the is light, that. so you know. He's lighter than the keel. That? I said the is pretty light. So we call a light or A little lighter.
4: Yeah, I know, he's he's snow light (laughs) (laughs) like you got his mom's genes. The mom gene has has been strong in our family. Um, But he's very both my kids are very in tune. You know, we were down at protests here. They're very in tune with everything going on right now. Um, And even though they themselves, you know, to the naked eye, people see them, they wouldn't know they have a dad uh, mix like me, Jamaican background. They wouldn't know that, but um, the kids are very, you know, they know their identity and they are very aware of um, things they hear, things they see and to step up. And it's not enough now, now more than ever. And I've said this since they were little kids, you can't, you have to be proactive. You can't stand by and be a bystander when people say things or do things that you know are wrong agree. And, and that's important. And I think sometimes when you're not a visible minority necessarily, that's it's even more important because that's often when you'll be hearing and seeing things because people think it's a safe space or whatever. So they are, uh, they're very vigilant in that. and I'm very proud of them. Um, you know, we were front and center uh, at a protest. My daughter's been to a couple and we as a family went to one and it was fantastic here in Toronto. It was peaceful and great messaging. And, you know, now is the time more than ever that it's important to be involved and, and be, um, you know, a diligent person when it comes to these things. So I'm really happy that they're growing up into to become those people.
1: So this the Stewart family, they're pretty tight. Now the Amber family does pretty good good for themselves as well. Let's talk about your sister. She's an award-winning writer for Essence magazine. And for those who don't know Essence, uh, Essence has been a leading magazine for black culture ever since I can remember. Uh, what kind of conversations do you both have when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially Ah, uh, the difference she sees um, being from you know Canada and U.S. media, like from a media perspective.
4: Yeah, she's uh, first of all, she's a brilliant writer. Her name's Janine Amber, and she's based out of Brooklyn, New York. And she was at Vibe. She was a features editor at Vibe for a long time, and a features writer. At Essence, and a, has won a, a number of awards. She's by far, you know, I don't like being mentioned in the same references as her. She's much more accomplished than I'll ever be. Uh, um, but she's, and she's, and she's written a couple yeah. of books as well. Okay. One of her books you got to get Kwame, it's called Rabbit. Uh, okay. It's Miss Pat Williams, uh, and she sort of ghostwrote it, but you know, it's, there's, she's acknowledged in it and she did all the writing, uh, okay. and it's fantastic. And it uh, receives a lot of accolades as well. You know, it's, she does a lot of race, uh, related stories. Uh, she went down and uh, she did a, a gun violence story in Philadelphia and she did a child bride story in Jamaica. And she has done all sorts of very important social pieces for Essence magazine. If you look her up, Janine Amber, J E A N N I N E. She's done a lot of really important writing. Um, this is close to her heart. You know, she's a real social activist and this is something that's very important to her. Um, And living down in Brooklyn, you're right there on the front lines Mm -hmm. of everything going on. You know, we're a little bit sheltered from some of that, you know, in Canada and Toronto. Certainly it's much more microaggressions. When you guys say it's more subtle stuff, people aren't burning crosses on your front lawn, but you just still, there's an underbelly sometimes with people, right? Is that fair to say? Would you guys agree? I would say so.
1: I definitely would say so.
3: Um, How do you, let's just change topics a little bit. How do you think... Hockey is going to change uh, with everything that's gone on in the last seven months.
4: I, I think we're going in the right direction, Elijah. And I'll go as far as to say, um, it was before Akim Alou and the hiring of Kim Davis. That is a discernible action, you know, actionable change. Like that's where they say we're bringing in someone who's a real a real force, someone who understands these issues. You know we collectively maybe haven't had those same experiences we need to bring in someone who can understand and identify those experiences there's an african african-american woman incredibly established incredibly uh you know the resume is all there and they want to have someone who can really identify what the issues are and how we can work through some of them so i think bringing in kim uh you know miss davis was very important uh everything that's happened since then certainly in the last six seven months has been very important as well and then when you look outside of hockey and you see these issues that are transcending hockey and going you know much deeper than that and what's happening after george floyd and ahmaud Arbery, uh brianna taylor etc we're now having these discussions and i think if you can change actions and behaviors and attitudes outside of hockey that'll all start coming into hockey as well those actions and behaviors maybe in some communities were acceptable and then they'd come onto the ice come into the stands and come into the game uh we got to get to a place where in society they're not acceptable elijah and then hockey will naturally follow so if we can push the envelope and start that conversation in our game that's great and i think that's what's taking place right now is there's a real reckoning uh for everything that's been taking place race-wise in the game and thankfully outside the game as well
2: That was pretty insightful um i like that a lot and uh, i hate to change the subject again but uh you know you've probably cover, covered so many games so many type of different uh games and um what would you say the greatest game you covered uh was and or maybe one that just sticks out the most in, in your memory just which uh which game would you say
4: a few that's tough but 2014 sochi women's gold medal final i mean for 57 minutes it was like okay us is gonna beat canada they're up to nothing the game was over and then boom 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 it just it was, it was magical to see. I mean, that was really amazing. That was uh, a real highlight in my career to be there for that. Clearly, again, I already talked about it, but 2002, again, the U S Canada, both men's and women's finals in salt Lake city at the Olympics were really incredible. Um, You know, Canada pulling off the double double and gold there and the way they did it against a very good American team and team uh, you know, on home soil a lot of people actually thought you know maybe the U.S. was going to win this and Canada uh, both for the men and women were able to overcome everything and and win so those moments were cool I was there when Ray Bork won his Stanley Cup in 2001 Uh, I was there when Ovechkin won his Stanley Cup a few years ago which I thought was pretty cool I'm a big Ovechkin fan I I love the way I love his heart and determination and and his love of the game his unadulterated passion for the game I just love Um, so I've you know those are a handful there's there's more but when i think of some really cool moments i was able to experience and be there on a professional level those ones jump out to me
3: for sure well. speaking of ovechkin and him winning that stanley cup what are your thoughts on the nhl's format to return to play
4: well as commissioner bentman said it's an imperfect situation you know we're, de- we're dealing with a global pandemic, so I-, I think they did the best thing. You know, some people said, well, they should just come back to top eight teams. It'll be easier logistic-wise. And I say, well, what if you're the ninth place team in the standing? Do you have a legitimate
2: chance to mm-hmm. win the Stanley
4: Cup? St. Louis, I think, was the ninth or tenth in the standings last year. They won the Cup, right? Uh, you know, there are no guarantees. Uh, once you get to playoffs, anything can happen. So to me, you err on the side of being extra inclusive. You have 24 teams. Yes, it's imperfect. Um, you know, imagine imagine if Montreal or Chicago, the 12 seeds that had really, no, they weren't going to make the playoffs, go and win a Stanley Cup. That's a great, you know, it's a great run. It's a great story. But at the same time, you go, man, it's kind of nuts. It took a pandemic to get them into the playoffs to get them to the Stanley Cup. So there are some storylines to, to keep an eye on. But um, I think they've done as good a job as possible. Twenty-four teams, best of sevens. They're keeping the integrity of winning the Stanley Cup. People are saying, oh, there's gonna be an asterisk. And I say, I don't know why there'd be an asterisk. They played 85% of the season. Now they're gonna have to win potentially you might have to win five rounds, not four rounds, to win a Stanley Cup. All teams are facing the same circumstance of being on this pause for four months. So I don't think Mm -hmm. there's an asterisk at all. I I think they're doing as good a job as you can do under the circumstances. And let's face facts, it might not happen, guys. Like We don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic and the way things are trending in the States, this could all blow up in the wrong way. But, um, but I think the NHL is, is at least established uh, a a forum, a situation where if they can resume the play, it's done with integrity and um, it'll be very dramatic and very exciting. And I like this whole receding thing. I like where you're not, you know, set up to play these same two division rivals. You can go in and you can play this team or that team. and We can see some matchups we've never seen before. So I think that adds to the drama. I like it.
1: Do you, what do you, uh, do you like the, the regular setup of um, how the playoffs are? I mean, it's changed. You know, I used to love when it was one against eight and two against seven. I, I used to love that format and then all of a sudden it changed and it's like it's so confusing to me now. Um, I really like the old style of it because it was just great to see like in 2005 and 6 when the Oilers were uh, the 16th seed out of all of them and they made that run to the playoffs. And then to see the same thing happen with the LA Kings and then they won, you know, I, I, I like that. What do you think about, you know, that format changing?
4: I'm with you, Kwame. I Listen, I get the idea. This is what the NHL wanted. They wanted the Rangers versus the Islanders. They wanted the Leafs versus Montreal. They wanted Calgary versus Edmonton. You know, they wanted L.A. versus Anaheim. I get that. None of that's happened. None of it, (laughs) right? So, like, there were supposed to be these great regional matchups, and it was just luck of the draw. When one regional rival's good, the other hasn't been. It just hasn't worked out. I would much rather just do it on meritocracy. You're first in the conference. You take on eight. You guys play through. If the six seed beats the three seed, and the six seed's the the worst seed standing, and you're the first seed, you play the six seed. You don't know who your Mm -hmm. next opponent's going to be. I understand the simplicity of the bracket system, like the NCAA uh, March Madness. I think with 64 teams, I get it. But with eight and eight on East and West, it's very different. I think you you certainly can do um, you know reseeding and and doing the old format that we we kind of grew up on, which I love.
2: So there's been so many questions on you know obviously the return to play and um, like the draft would have been eight days ago. Um, I think on the twentieth it usually isn't. development camp would have been this past week um so everything's up in the air and then obviously um a couple days ago um we saw the uh nhl draft lottery happen and obviously the number one pick is undetermined so um wanted to know what you thought about that (laughs) now that was chaos i don't know
4: uh you know there's a lot of purists traditionalists who just think you know you, you need to you need to beef up the bottom teams you can't be having a team that you know, imagine if Pittsburgh loses in the first round, right? Pittsburgh was a top seven, eight team in the league. They're the number five seed in their conference. And let's say they lose to Montreal and then they get the first pick. And you're adding Lafreniere to, wow. to Crosby, Malkin. Or let's say Edmonton loses in the first round to Chicago. Same idea. So, yeah, this is a bit of an anomaly this year. Uh, you know, I, I like the fact that it doesn't promote anyone to tank. Teams should be out there trying to win. Because there's no real benefit. Look at Detroit, man. They were the worst team by a landslide, and what good did it do them? They finished with the fourth pick. I like that part of it, uh, but we—they've got to tinker with it somehow. They've got to tinker because you just—you don't want to have a, a bunch of teams. We've seen this with New Jersey in the last few years. Move up, you know, from seven, eight, nine, ten to one, whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, and we've seen it probably a little too often. In fact, if I'm not mistaken here, in the last six, seven years, one team that finished last picked first. And that was the Leafs getting Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. Every other year, Buffalo didn't get McDavid, right?
1: Oh, they were mad about that, boy.
4: <laughs> yeah, like, it just, I, I get the drama part of it, but I think they've got to figure out a system that's a little bit more weighted towards the bad teams. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, a lot of the times, like, Colorado slid from first to fourth, but then ended up getting Kel McCarr. So I think mm-hmm. teams tanking just doesn't make sense because a lot of the times, some of the best players aren't, the top pick. So that's a great that's a uh, look great. at
1: Yakupov. Where's Yakupov nowadays? You know, I think
3: he's in the, the
1: KHL. Out. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. I always said that the um, the Buffalo Sabres situation. I almost thought that was like kind of like a like a karma type type of thing because you know they had they like why did they fire Nolan? Like why did they had no reason to fire him? And then that next year, it's like you know they're they're gearing up for McDavid and then boom, they didn't get him. So I was like, well. Karma, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a sucker right there, boy. Um, you, as as far as teams go, in the last couple of years, who would you say is your biggest shock? As far as uh, uh, you know, over exceeding what you thought, and ones that are under exceeding what you thought.
4: Well, you mentioned Colorado, and they. It's funny if you remember. Four or five years ago they had the worst record we've seen in the 21st century like they were they were horrible and you know granted you get you have mckinnon now and mccarr i mean they have two absolute studs and they've got you know ranton no joke and landis cox no joke either they they sort of got on a quick quicker path than i thought they would probably get on um certainly the whole las vegas thing took everyone by surprise like that was You know, that was not supposed to happen. And kudos to George McPhee and his executive staff. Boy, did they they navigated their way through that expansion draft and through that entry draft? And they were holding guys hostage, basically. All the other GMs are gonna take this guy unless you give us this pick. And they worked it beautifully. And we'll see what Seattle will be able to do because I think teams are gonna be a lot less interested in talking with Seattle the way they did with Las Vegas. They'll say, Hey, you want to take my six million dollar guy? Go ahead, you can have him because uh i'm not going to give you i'm not going to mortgage my whole future to to set you up so you know those two teams jump out you know vegas you know it's funny they're two years in they're three years in now and they're going to have gone to the playoffs each year and last year they would have advanced past the first round if it wasn't for that horrible call right in game seven mm-hmm. against San Jose. so this is a team that really uh hasn't known bad hockey this franchise so uh they've been an amazing story colorado's been a pretty cool story the way they've come up but um you know, I honestly think, guys, going into this 2014 playoff, you could have any of 10 teams, 12 teams win the Stanley Cup, and I, it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Just wouldn't.
1: Okay. Well, so, so, Amber, how excited are you to see Seattle coming into the league? What are your thoughts? Because they've got the new arena, they're going green. What are your thoughts
3: on, on their, their look?
4: Slam dunk, slam mm-hmm. dunk, like Vegas, slam dunk. You ever been to Seattle? You guys, any of you guys been to Seattle?
3: I've never oh. been. I was, actually just,
1: I, was, I was actually just there, and um, I did a little panel with uh, Todd Lewicki and his crew, and the one thing that I'm excited about Seattle is their hiring practices. Um, they are going to be the most inclusive team uh, in all of the NHL, I think they're going to set, set the bar.
4: Yeah. You're hit on that. First of all, it's a great city. Uh, it's a good sports city. Uh, it has great proximity to Vancouver. You're going to have that built-in uh, rivalry right away. Yep. The city has a lot of money. has a ton of uh, tech money, Microsoft and everything else. So you're going to be able to fill these suites. It's going to be a financial success. And then exactly what Kwame's saying. It's going to set basically the benchmark for other teams. Um, and they're not filling token positions and quotas. They're finding the best people, but they're making a concerted effort to find a diverse group of people to represent their city. Uh, and Seattle is a pretty diverse city, uh, has a very big Asian community as well. And I think they want it to reflect their families. And I think that's very important. And, uh, I think they're going to be a home run, home run.
2: Have they, uh, um, confirmed like their logo, their, their colors, anything like that yet? Not yet. Not yet. Um, all the speculation is we're
4: going to see like some blues and some greens and whatnot, but we don't know the name. We don't know the logo uh it's all coming and i imagine with everything that's happening with the pandemic they didn't want to you know you, this isn't the time to be doing these sort of press conferences but i imagine in the fall or maybe next winter all this will come into uh to place and uh there's a lot of excitement surrounding it you know they lost both their mba and uh they, they lost their mba team um where did seattle end up going where the heck did seattle go charlotte or new orleans i'm not oklahoma. really sure oklahoma?
1: Oklahoma? Yeah, oklahoma it was oklahoma you're yeah, right yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're, they have a, a real good fan base there, and, and they love the Seahawks, they love the Mariners, and mm-hmm. they're going to love their
1: hockey team for sure. I love Sean Kemp when he was playing back then. Boy, yeah, the guys. Rain Man. Woo, he was so crazy. <laughs>
3: so, David, one of the things that we do on our show here is uh, at the end of every episode, we like to get our guests top five songs. And, you know, when I was Googling you, I saw a bunch of music pop up on the side. I was like, oh, this guy artist too. I like this. <laughs> it was some next david amber so pretty much you're going to broadcast stanley cup final game seven you're on your zone you're on your way to the rink and you're listening to five songs that are going to get you going so you can <laughs> perform at your best
4: yeah i um so i love an eclectic mix of music i i listen to a lot of different music so i'm kind of all over the map which is funny um but, you know, I like Little Wayne, uh, you know, something like Drop the World uh, pumped me up a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Biggie Smalls, Notorious Thugs, like something like that'll get you kind of mm. pumped. But I also like, um, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Under the Bridge or-
1: That's uh, a good song.
4: Foo Fighters, Everlong. Um, you know, One like- more. Ooh, man, oh, oh, oh. That, uh, that, song,
1: that song you're gonna listen to right before you get out of the car and you're about to go and broadcast.
4: Right, I'll, I'll do another, I'm going to do a little, I'm going to do one more little Wayne song then, right above it. I don't know if okay. you guys are familiar with that. Yeah. That'll, that'll get yeah, you kind familiar of with it. good and ready. The ballers, you ever see the show Ballers? It's mm-hmm. a theme yeah. of ballers. Uh, that's good. When I'm at the gym and trying to throw some weight around, those are the sort of, that's the sort of music, you know, uh, Not Afraid, Eminem.
3: That's another
4: good
1: one, right? Okay, little, okay. Um, He's giving so, me a little bonus. So I like that. That'd be it. That'd be my tip right there.
3: Just let everyone know where we can find you on, on social media. Uh,
4: so I'm on Instagram, but I'm only there to keep an eye on my teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I am on uh, Twitter at David Amber. Uh, you know, and I'm not. i have been a full disclosure. I'm not the most exciting Twitter. I keep it sports. I keep some politics and have some fun once in a while. Um, but I like I like engaging. So uh, you can find me at David Amber and. Hopefully soon enough, you'll find me back on the TV for for hockey mm-hmm. night, and, uh, NHL and sports. Night. That's uh, what I'd be excited about.
1: That's it. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak to us. You know, very informative. Um, I've always said this to you, man, that in this space of hockey, in this space of broadcasting, your face, your voice is so needed because you are going to inspire that young black boy or that young black girl who wants to broadcast and loves the game of hockey because you're showing them that it's very possible to sit in that seat and you're sitting in a seat that is coveted. You're sitting in a seat that has history to it and you're part of that history. And just, you know, from, from me personally, bro, I am so proud of you. I'm so happy to be able to call you a friend, man. And uh, we just wish all the best. We ride with David Amber. So yeah, man, thank you so much, brother.
0: Well,
4: that that means a lot, Kwame. Thank you. Thanks for all the support. And uh, what you're doing is very important as well. Soul on Ice and all the initiatives that you've been a part of, uh, you know, you're a leading voice. So you got to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, It's important work. It's meaningful work. And uh, yeah, I encourage, just like Akhil and Elijah, I'm sure you get this a lot, guys, like encourage uh, people who look like Whatever the look is, young people want to get involved in the game, I always encourage it because there's a place for you. And don't let anyone tell you there's not a place for you. And, um, you know, I think the four of us are living proof of that. So, uh, gentlemen, thanks for having me. And just keep doing what you're doing.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, from Hockey Night in Canada, the late night game host, David Amber. Thank you, my friend. Take care, fellas. Thanks for having me. Uh, and when
0: we make it, we gonna put our soul on ice. Cause when they got it, they sh- we did it twice. I guess the poopers in the freezer. They tried to get rid of us, but they need us. So I need you, like you need me. I need you, like you need me. We double up when our numbers come through the TV. Yeah, soul on ice. I'ma put my soul on ice. Nice. You got that right, I'm screaming on that beat. I got a match, screaming on the streets. We in the club, your Mandy, your bring cousin. Put me on ice and I'm hitting that top. She's a dusting, buzzing fighting with myself is enticing. My enemies in the mirror, and he's always reciting the poetry of my power. Statistic of my weakness, shadow boxing with Tyson. I'm trying to show y'all I'm beating them to the punch. Competition on the table, which time Lunch, though my mission isn't stable. I'm scoring once, twice, three times, and I'm taking hats. Men lie, women lie. Progress is based upon the facts. So let that baby shine. they sold the show and Ola. They live within the grind. Now take them out that stroller, cause coming up is a chance. Prediction of Ali. He changed his name to Muhammad. We changing free to a fee. It's yeah. up to me. Uh, and when we make it, we gon' put our soul on ice. Cause when they die, they're shit. We Twice, I guess the poopers in the freezer. They tried to get rid of us, but they need us. So I need you like you need me. I need you like you need me. We double up when our numbers come through the TV. Soul on ice, I'ma put my soul on ice. Nice. Uh, let's dedicate this one to Jaden, Linda. Let's escalate to Caddy, crush the up or maybe you prefer that man's Why? Big truck, I don't give a All f- only really want a house, for to gift by. Let's take it far down on the competition. Competition is nuts and smooth. My soul's decision, yeah. I only work against myself. I play against you to bench you. I'm throwing all shots to the shelf, yeah. The top is the topic. You checking your armor, my wheel telescopic. So I'm steering my karma. The future is mine, like receiving the past from Jesus to Jordan, the Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You young, uh, and when we make it, we gon' gonna put our soul on ice. Because when they doubted us, we did it twice. I guess the proof is in the freezer. They tried to get rid of us, but they need us. So I need you, like you need me. I need you, like you need me. double up when our numbers come through the TV. Soul on Ice, I'm going to put my soul on ice. Nice.